Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops. And for this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by a personal friend and a friend of the podcast. Welcome back, Colin Lambert, the co-founder of The Full FX. Thank you, Galen. Compliments of the season and all the best for 2022. So this is being recorded, what is the date today? It is December 28th. So unless things change drastically between now and the first week of January when we're going to publish this, I think we can be fairly safe with the things we're going to talk about. Because this is going to be our year wrap-up episode, but then also looking forward to the year ahead. We're going to try and have some fun with it. Colin, I thought, first of all, we'll go through everything you got wrong about 2021, and then <laughs> we'll look at 2022, and you can be wrong about a whole new list of things. Sounds we'll, perfect, mate. You know, we'll leave a little treat for people. At the end of the episode, we're going to discuss your trade of the year for this year, and you can lay out whether money is going to be made or more likely lost next year. Can I just say that depends on whether you follow me or not? <laughs> So let's start off. Before we even get into things wrong, right, predictions, I'm kind of curious, as someone who's obviously covering the industry very closely all the time, what was your 2021 news story of the year? And can I just explain what I mean by that? By news story of the year, I mean, what was, do you think, the most consequential development for the FX industry that you covered in 2021? It's an interesting one, because I think I would say it's an ongoing story. Because in terms of the response that I get, it's consistently high for one thing. And that's something we started doing in April, which was an empirical study of what happens around the 4 p.m. fix at month end. Effectively, what we're looking at is the difference between a five-minute window and a 20-minute window. There are slight methodological differences, but generally speaking, we're talking just those two differences. And every single month, my mailbox gets full up with people going, I didn't realize it was quite like that. And I mean, to give you an idea, I think over the eight or nine months that we've been running this analysis, the average, and now we call it an average saving, but in reality, what you're talking about, the market impact from your orders is averaging $900 per million. That is just insanity in some ways. If you look at the average for the last month we looked at, which November was $1,718 a million. And what is interesting to me is the number of asset management type or users of the fix that have been in contact saying, okay, I get this. Do you understand why we use the fix? And I do. But they're also saying that a lot of their asset owners are now asking the questions. So I think all in all, in terms of an ongoing impact that might change one of the fundamental aspects of our market, I would probably say it's our coverage of the fix. Yeah, there's loads of little stories out there, which I guess we could talk about. But I think all in all, that's my number one, because it's just a staggering amount of money. You know, in November, it was over $2,300 per million on euro dollar. Is this something you expect to see sort of resolved or see a dramatic change in 2022? Because, I mean, as you say, this isn't a particularly new story. There has been a fair amount of literature. We even did a podcast on this subject in one of Mm. our earlier episodes. Do you think that we're at a tipping point? We're going to see change imminently on this? I think we'll see change in 2022. I don't know how imminent it will be because I think what's happening at the moment is we've got firms looking at an alternative and you have an incumbent that at the moment is not really moving. They are doing the analysis and I'm sure they're in constant contact, but it's one of those issues, I think, where it doesn't happen often in our industry. 
but it does happen often enough. And that is there is a time when you stop listening to your clients and you lead them. And you say to your clients, look, I understand you're not that bothered by this, but we are. And we think a better way of doing this is to reduce the market impact of your business by, you know, an average of $900 over, over a year per million is to do a longer window. So I think we will see change because the other thing as well is every platform now has algos, hosting algos, and there's independent CCA. You can put this business through in a lot of different ways, a lot of different times a day and get the benefit without the signaling risk. So I just think it's building up. So yes, 2022, I think there will be a change. It will either be the incumbent will change or we will see the growth of competition. Well, we're sticking with 2021. Let's do the things you didn't see coming. All right. So let's go, should we go positive? No, let's go negative first. So what was your biggest yeah. negative surprise in 2021 for the sort of FX industry? There's two really. I mean, one was just a, a you know an irritating surprise to me was I thought the Global Foreign Exchange Committee's paper on pre-hedging disappointed me because it kind of just kicked the can down the street. All it did was say, okay, what we were calling pre-hedging, we're now going to call hedging. It's still a problem in front of these larger orders. Mathematically, you're going to trigger the order with every single trade you do. I think we could have had more clarity there. I think probably it would be more lawsuits against the industry. I, I genuinely thought we'd got behind that. Now, what I would say is that one of the lawsuits was about, this is all about historical activity again, but one of the lawsuits was about activity 2005 to 2008, and he got kicked out on those grounds. It was too long. But it was a negative surprise to me that these lawsuits kept on popping up. It doesn't help the industry's image. And what doesn't help, I have to say, if I may criticize some of my peers, there's one or two trade publications out there that keep on talking about the latest FX scandal when they're talking about the chat room stuff because a lawsuit comes around again. It's not the latest. It's the same old thing coming around. We know that you know the industry didn't have a handle on what it was doing in 2013. It has been cleaned up with the FX Global Code. So I think probably my negative surprise would be the lawsuits. Okay. Uh, let's move into happier territory. Your biggest positive surprise in 2021? Again, it's probably tied between two. What I think has surprised me positively is the rollout of technology into FX. It's always been an innovative industry, but um, there's some stuff coming out of the crypto world, you know, around distributed ledger technology, et cetera. And I remember one of my favorite expressions of yours was, you know, is blockchain a solution looking for a problem? The fact that in the areas of settlement and in the post-trade, we're starting to see these DLT-based solutions. So the fact that we actually got that rolled out within 2021, I thought was a positive surprise. Because frankly, I had that tagged for maybe 2023. Okay. So that was one. And I think probably my number one, and this will come as no surprise to you or your listeners, was when the FCA explicitly backed no additional hold time on last look. Um, <laughs> I didn't I didn't expect <laughs> Sorry, everyone. We're there already. I didn't expect the FCA to be quite so explicit. They've endorsed the global code before. But the fact that in their statement, they explicitly said, you know, we think additional hold time is and a theme of two best practices was very, very important. All right, I'm going to ask you some predictions. But firstly, I want to ask you, obviously, there's always a flurry of excitement every three years as we get the survey from the BIS, the Bank for International Settlements, mainly because it is kind of putting a finger on the pulse of the industry. It becomes a sort of the official benchmark, as it were, for the size of the market and for different products, et cetera. 
So two things I'm going to ask you for, which is one, give me the top line headline number that the BIS survey is going to come out with next year. We're at 6.6 trillion per day, average daily volume for FX right now. Where are we going to be in 2022? And then beyond that number, is there anything that people should be watching out for specifically as the numbers come out, as we start looking into more granular detail? Is there anywhere where you sort of guide people's attention to specifically look at? It's an interesting one, actually, because you just prompted something there. You know, you, you speak about it. It is the headline number. It is a number that everybody uses to describe the size of the FX market. But I think people are already forgetting that in the 2019 survey, the BIS were the ones that flagged up settlement risk and the huge size of non-PVP volume out there. Now, it was a pretty blunt instrument because they, you know, they were including internal trades, which would reduce the number. But if you look at the focus we've had on settlement risk since the 2019 survey, I think that kind of highlights how important and, and how sort of industry shaping this survey can be. So to your first question, well, I think we can just put the lid on this one already going. It's going to be $7.36 trillion. 7.36, you go into two decimal yeah. places. All right, that's very specific, Colin. Mate, if you're going to go, go hard. <laughs> <laughs> what I think will be interesting, I think, is it's a little bit niche, I've got to admit. But oh, here, here it comes. I would I would look at the FX options because my sense is that FX options volumes are going down and may not recover yet. But in the listed space, FX options volumes are going up. So if the BIS FX options volumes are unchanged to lower, then I think that shows us that regulation is starting to have an impact in that space because more people are going to listed because obviously it doesn't really capture listed that accurately. So I think I would look at the FX options. You know, we have some tap-ins. There'll be growth in Asia. I think Asia is quite an important area for the FX market. Yeah. Again, broken clock. I've been predicting that for a few years. But there'll be growth in Asia. Most of the growth will be in FX swaps. And I think we'll see an even greater influence for what we would call customers. So non-reporting banks, non-financial institutions and other financial institutions. What I would say, though, is I think banks overall will, will remain the biggest segment in FX. Generally speaking, I think it's that. But look out for that surprise. Is the BIS going to throw another FX settlement type surprise at us in saying, by the way, we think this is a risk the industry needs to be looking at? Now we're going into the sort of broader prediction phase. So there's going to be two categories for this, right? So first of all, I want your top three predictions for 2022 that you think will definitely happen. Now, these are the predictions. When we have you back on the podcast at the start of 2023, these are the ones that you're going to be graded and ranked on, Colin. Then after this, we've got your top three wildcard predictions. And these are like a free hit. Like, I'm not going to call you out on it. I'm not going to judge you on them. I want like your left field. This could happen, but won't definitely happen. <laughs> we both know there's no such thing as a free hit between you and I. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So your top three definitely going to happen. This is nailed on predictions. Okay, I think there'll be fintech M&A and consolidation. There's some niche players in the sort of dynamic credit world, in the settlement world, in the peer-to-peer world, that I think their model is proven and it could be what they need now is scale. And I think that scale can be provided through an M&A transaction. So I think fintech M&A is my number one. Number two, I suspect is a bit of a tap-in, but you've got to take them when they come across. And I think we're going to see a lot more focus on ESG. And I think we'll be at the stage where as ESG develops, particularly in that sort of 
money manager world, then I think there's going to be more demands placed upon bank and possibly even platform FX businesses to, I guess, publish the ESG rating of the institution or the technology. I don't think that one's going to go away for some time yet. We'll probably see more green FX transactions. We've seen a couple of those over the years. They're dotted around, but I think we'll probably see more of those. But I think it'll be more about how good a citizen are you in ESG terms is what we'll see. That will come into FX. And my third one is I think 2022 is the year we finally discover how potentially disruptive regulation will be to FX. Because I think we're going to have, you know, with SACA, with UMR, with Basel, with GSIB, I think we're going to have not necessarily liquidity challenges in markets like FX swaps, but I think, you know, this rush to sort of zero spread or minimal spreads could very quickly be reversed because the impact of regulation this year will be quite significant. And it could go one of two ways. It'll either be wider spreads in OTC and customers will carry on trading. Or again, this could be a push towards demand for more listed products for some of these things. So then my three, they will happen, Galen, nailed down, always uh, certain. Yeah, I mean, okay. So you went for the low hanging fruit there, Colin. So let's go through. Um, <laughs> That's a bit harsh. <laughs> let's go to FinTech M&A. You know what FinTechs do, Colin? They get acquired. <laughs> like that's their whole thing. Okay. <laughs> All right. And then let's talk about ESG. So Colin Woke Lambert thinks that ESG is going to be a big thing, apparently. <laughs> In that case, Colin, I've actually recorded the podcast that's going out after this. So I think you'll enjoy that one because it's all about ESG. Yeah, I told you it would be a big thing. It's already proven. So what do you think ESG means for FX or in an FX context? I actually think it's going to be more of a tick-in-the-box function, but I, I think it will just be around potentially the use of technology and you know, how you're powering it. This would be nothing to do with like who your customers are. That's one thing I'll make clear because obviously that's confidential information. But what I would say is I think if I'm, for instance, say an asset manager with quite a decent, loud activist investor base, and I've got 12 LPs, I'm going to be going to those 12 LPs saying, okay, I need your ESG rating for your institution and also for your FX business. You know, how much energy are you using? How much are you offsetting? You know, what is your employment makeup in terms of like, you know, gender and diversity? So I think there'll be questions that some of the bigger clients will be asking. And at some stage, it could even be that, you know, just as we've got platforms now saying, okay, this is a signature to the FX Global Code, they could publish the ESG ratings. I think it'd be more about that. And you might find the value of a different LP could shift up and down a ladder based upon their ESG rating. All right, Colin, let's have at it then. Your wildcard predictions. Right. So. Buckle in, listeners. <laughs> Buckle in for an interesting ride. I think we're going to see a shakeup in the prime brokerage world, which could possibly involve, if not the exit, but a dramatic trimming of one or two players, folks on this business. I think, again, it's regulatory and capital-based, but the GSIB ratings of too many banks are getting too close to the next barrier. And if they tip over a barrier, I was trying to work it out. If you look at an average top 10 bank, I think if you go into the next bucket of GSIB, it's something like a 600 was it million or billion. I can't remember. It was a huge number. Capital cost. I see you calling think, always with the precise details. Of course, this million, other concepts, man. Going other concepts. <laughs> it was a huge, I think it might be five or six billion dollars actually, would be the capital cost of going into the next GSIB bucket. 
Now, in terms of the trading businesses, are you going to curtail your trading activities, particularly if you know market's going to get busier? And that's where you do still make a lot of your money. Can you control your trading businesses? Yes, you can. You've got certain customers you just need to look after. You're not going to chop those. I think PB becomes a low-hanging fruit there. So one of my wildcards is there'll be, a, if not a PB exit, but a, a dramatic PB pullback. I think there's going to be a stable coin blow-up. I don't trust the stable coin industry at the moment in time. There's too many things around, you know, what collateral is being held behind them. And when the link starts getting weaker, all of a sudden a bunch of arbitrages come in and buy it. It seems to be a house card. So I think we could see a stable coin blow up, which would have an impact across the crypto world. However, I do think crypto will rebound stronger. It'll be a healthier thing. And I know you're going to love this one, Galen, because we all know that trend following is dead. No longer. <laughs> I think that we're going to see more central bank activity around um, monetary policy. I think we're going to see a trend. And that means that trend following, let's take the SG trend index. I <laughs> predict that that will be in double figures for the first Ooh. time since 2014. Wow. Okay. That was, a, that was a big one at the end. I like that. I've always, Galen, I've always told you trend following. It's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So let's dive into each of these. So the PB shakeup, uh, you know, don't call it an exit, but what impact will that have? Because on the one hand, you're predicting BIS numbers showing significant growth, albeit a lot of that coming from swaps. On the other, you're saying PBs, we could see a lot of them kind of heading towards the exit, which to me would imply lower numbers. Potentially lower numbers in spot, but not in swaps. Okay. No, I do think the swaps will drive most of the growth in the BIS survey. Spot will go up. Because, you know, firms will still find a way to do it. And I think a lot of the time, most PB clients have got more than one PB going now. So I don't necessarily think there'll be a trigger effect the way there was okay. last time. But what I would say, of course, if you've got one of them, you know, don't call it an exit, but if one of them exits, then I think that could create pressure for the others if they are close to one of these GSIB barriers. Okay. And then stablecoin. So I knew you were going to make one crypto prediction. And you know what I was actually thinking earlier today, Colin? Do you remember when we did one of these prediction things and I made fun of you? But for listeners who don't know, I made fun of Colin because he predicted that Bitcoin would end uh, somewhere between zero but under 10,000. So I, I made fun of Colin because he gave himself a, a healthy $10,000 margin <laughs> of, of his prediction. Yeah. But I was thinking about this today. If I had to guess within a 10,000 range of where Bitcoin's going to end in 2022, I don't know that I'd get it. <laughs> No, I know. It's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think 2022 could be the year where two-way risk is truly introduced to the crypto market. At the moment, it's up by the escalators down by the lift shaft. I sense that this could be the year when we get a bit more two-way risk. But for something that's meant to be so transparent, there's not enough transparency around what supports one or two of the stable coins out there. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all stable coins are wrong. By any stretch of the imagination, they're not. But I think we could do with some transparency around one or two of these stable coins. So your last prediction, trend following. In the past, I've adopted the Colin Lambert broken clock theory of predictions, in which I've always advocated for trend following <laughs> with you know, sometimes dubious, sometimes complicated results. It was never quite clear. But trend following has had many obituaries over the years. And now you're backing it for a comeback. Yeah, I mean, let's face it, I've written most of the obituaries. 
Um, <laughs> I have been the broken clock about trend following is dead. It comes down to volatility, I think, in many ways. We've been talking volatility up for the last three years because it's one of those things, oh, it's a historic lows, it can't go any lower. Well, until it gets to zero, it can go lower. I think that's one thing we need to remember. But I do genuinely feel that there's a macroeconomic reason now why volatility will come back, and that is central banks will, and they've already started. Um, you know, the Bank of England allegedly surprised the market by raising rates. I mean, they did say two months before they were going to raise rates. They didn't do it immediately afterwards, and everyone went, oh, they're not going to do it then. They lied to us. And then they did it, and they went, what sort of guidance is that? My friends in the analyst world, you know I'm talking about you. So I think, yeah, we're going to see interest rates move and we will see interest rate divergence. You know, it's a macroeconomic theory. At some level, interest rate divergence will lead to a trend in currency markets. And when you get a trend in currency markets, these funds are you know, well adapted to jump on it. I would imagine they're already on it, to be fair. I think this has been going on for the last two months, but it will continue next year. So, yes, trend following, going in, I've always been a believer, you know that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, okay, so now we come on to the bit I've really been waiting for, which is your trade of the year. So last year, your trade of the year was Shekelmax. Yes. And I know that in your excellent weekly newsletter that you put out, you've been tracking this trade week by week. Sadly. Um, yeah, <laughs> last time I checked, it wasn't going great. Can we call this the end of the year and, and see how you're doing? Okay, it's currently at 6.653. And where did you start? It might have been 6.15. <laughs> and I might have sold it. <laughs> and I might only be 8.2% down on the trade. Hey, that's not bad. That's not bad. But I would like to point something out, actually, Colin. Yeah. I am absolutely distraught that it didn't get below 650 because I worked out that the one-year carry for Shekel Max was 45 big figures. Oh. I could have claimed the carry and been in court. As it turns <laughs> out, yeah, because it's all about the carry. Okay, it didn't go brilliantly, I have to admit. To be fair, it was like it never went above 640 for the first like eight months. And then in November, it went about 50 big figures. At one stage, you were looking at seven. Yeah. It was like, but the good news is, Colin, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself in 2022. So, uh, you know, drum roll, please. What is your trade of the year for 2022? For 2022, Galen, I am going to buy Aussie Check. <laughs> Aussie Check. All right. Talk us through this one, Colin. Because I think I, I can't remember the logic behind the Shekel Max. Did you say something well, about oil? Well, yeah, I think generally speaking, I feel it, it was sprung on me last year. Because obviously, I never expect you to talk about a trade of the year with me because you've only done it every other year since. Yeah, last year's logic, I think, was vague. This year's logic is equally as vague. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just looking it up. So it's basically at 15.9, 15.91, actually. So there's our benchmark, Okay. 15.91. What it is, is I actually think that, and this kind of harks back to the ESG thing, because I think there's going to be a lot more folks on green energy and you know, electric cars, for instance, I think will go through the roof. And perversely, there's a lot of minerals and metals that are needed to produce this sort of stuff. And a lot of that stuff comes out of the ground in Australia. So it's a I think commodity prices could go higher this year. And so therefore, I've bought Aussie. The reason I've sold Czech is equally as scientific, 
it's because it's gone up a lot this year. <laughs> <laughs> so if it's gone up this year, yeah. Exactly. When I run the ACLD simulation, so high, I tell them. So high. Exactly, I tell them, you know, just because it's gone up doesn't mean it's going to go down. If you're out there, kids, don't listen to what Uncle Colin's saying. <laughs> um, but yes, it's no, I, 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 it's a commodity play for me. And I'm not convinced by Eastern Europe at the moment. So that's about as scientific as you're going to get from me, mate. All right. No, I, I appreciate that. And um, look, fingers crossed that it does better than your trade of the year this year. Based on past experience, I'm not holding my breath on that one. But um, Colin, always great to chat to you. Thank you for joining me again. I am uh, already looking forward to uh, coming back next year to trounce everything you got wrong this year. <laughs> Thank you, Galen. And I'd expect nothing less of you. <laughs> And to all our listeners, please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings.